put the spotlight, Lord, on areas where we are, are yet untouched by your Holy Spirit. And Lord, uh, Lord, please make us more as we, like we should be, Lord, for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, uh, as I've said, I'm looking at that, uh, that passage, but I'm particularly looking, if you have the title, um, to my uh, to my sermon to the soul refiners the soul refiners purifying fire and you see that uh, in verse 25 it says I will turn back my hands and will smelt away your drosses with lime and remove all your arms now I tell you this is a theme in Isaiah because of course uh, I, I the Lord speaks through Isaiah on a number of occasions uh, on this theme. Um, so in Isaiah chapter 4, for instance, uh, this thing is mentioned. In Isaiah 4, verse 3, he was left in Zion, and remained in Jerusalem, will be called holy. Everyone who has been recorded for life in Jerusalem. Then the Lord, when the Lord has washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion and cleansed the bloodstones of Jerusalem from its midst by a spirit of judgment and by a spirit of burning, and uh, this burning away of the sin of the people, mentioned also in other scriptures in Isaiah. And actually, through the whole prophetic period, the image of the smelter, the soul being refined in the fire, in the purifying fire of God, is mentioned both in the Psalms of David, in Isaiah, in Jeremiah, in Zechariah, and in Malachi. And that is not because they copied one another, it's because God himself chose to use this image to teach his people an important truth. So, from about 1000 BC to about 300 BC, God reveals himself using the images of the smelter and the furnace, and earlier I read from Malachi, that also uh, use those words. Now, interestingly enough, I mean, uh, I've known ever since I was young about the Iron Age, the Bronze Age, which came before the Iron Age, and, and so on. Uh, I'm probably going to. Um, but I never learned actually what happened during the Iron Age. What exactly happened during the Iron Age? We know in the Old Testament, for instance, it said of the Philistines, they entered the Iron Age before the Israelites. The Israelites didn't have any iron until the Philistines came along, and they learned how to create iron. And um, we didn't learn the same process in Britain. So we, I don't even know if my ancestors came from ancient Britain, but. People in this country uh, didn't learn the process of um, how to smell iron until 800 BC. Um, the Philistines were around, around about 1000 BC, already smelting iron. Well, how? Where did iron come from? Well, the answer is that, that um, it was relatively easy to find minerals in the ground like uh, tin and copper. And then, actually, from the ore that they were using, the, the rocks in which they found, it was relatively easy to actually um, to actually um, get melted out from the, the rocks, the the, um, the substances, substances themselves. So, for instance, tin melts at only 231 degrees. Well, any bonfire can get to 231 degrees, no problem at all. And in fact, even um, a copper melts at um, a thousand degrees, which again. Um, a very large bonfire can get to that, can get to that um, heat. But 
iron doesn't melt till much higher. I can't remember. It's, yes, it's um, well over, well over, I think it's 1600 or so centigrade, 1600 centigrade. And the point about that is, it was only when they discovered a very simple thing. If you introduce an air current into the bonfire, it will get hotter and hotter and hotter. And when they realized this, people started to use bellows. If you know what bellows are, they're, they're, kind of, they're made out of skin in those days, leather, leather. In fact, even uh, 80 or 90 years ago, people used to have ordinary coal fires you know, the bellows. And the bellows, you simply pumped it, and the air pumped out, just like in a bicycle pump, and the fire would get hotter and hotter and hotter and hotter. And then, then the iron would melt upon the doing all this process on, on a large stone. And then the iron would, would, would appear. The iron would, would appear. And on the top of the iron would be a layer of scum. <laughs> it's called here tropes. Um, but it's, uh, it's it, you know, another word for it is scum. Uh, and the word that became common in the 19th century mines, uh, and uh, not just the coal mines, but also uh, to the, uh, the, the uh, Result of the, the use of coal, uh, slag heaps, you know, rubbish. The rubbish that was no longer actually in use. The pure iron was there, it had melted down, but there was loads of scum left. Now, what uh, the prophet Isaiah and the other prophets are saying is that God is in the in the business of smelting soul metals. He wants our souls to have if you like, the precious metals of heaven inside. What are those precious metals? Well, I would suggest that, obviously, uh, we, we have um, uh, love, hope, and faith, as mentioned, of course, in 1 Corinthians 13. But if we can just turn over for a second to Galatians 5, and uh, 5, um, we see another list of heavenly qualities that are meant to be, heavenly metals, we might call them, that are meant to be in the souls and hearts of human beings. It says, um, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These are meant to be in our, in our lives. As, uh, and that's what God is, is wanting for, for our characters. Not just as occasional, oh, uh, well, occasionally patient. <laughs> I'm afraid that's and it's true of me, I'm occasionally patient, but often not. But he wants us permanent characteristics in our souls, if you like, the, the many splendid radiance of love itself, because these are all, if you like, part of what love is. Now, God wishes to produce righteousness in his people. And uh, God is in the business of smelting soul metals. He has a factory for producing these precious metals of the soul. And what is that factory? Well, your particular factory is your life that you inhabit, and all the different dimensions of your life, and all the experiences you have. In the, in the church you go to, in the books you read, in the TV programs you watch, in, uh, if they're Christian TV programs, in the experiences you go through, especially the suffering you go through. This is God at work to produce in you these precious qualities. We need to remember this. I need to remember this. We go through an unpleasant experience. They haven't happened by accident. God knows that what's happening to us. And 
these produced and allowed that situation to happen in order to burn out the scum and to burn out the, the slag from our souls and produce within us heavenly matters. You know, when we review our lives, we, we, miss, we may be fortunate enough, blessed enough to have said, oh yeah, well, God has used me sometimes. You know, God has been, there have been times where I feel that God has produced in me some really, some heavenly methods, some heavenly qualities. But if you're like me, you can review and think, oh, so much of the time, I have been unusable. There's been scum that has been a predominant factor in my life. In fact, the, 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 the scum has been, you know, has been actually in my soul. I mean, that's the whole point about the iron. The iron has, the iron before it's smelted, before it goes through this terrifying experience of 1600 degrees centigrade, before it has that experience, it's, the iron is mixed with all kinds of, all kinds of other materials. And it's only when it reaches that temperature that actually all of this comes out as, as, as the, um, as the dross, as the, as the, as the scum on the top of the metal, which is then, you know, thrown away and the, and the metal is then used. Well, whatever age we are, I'm 72, I want, how long I've got left on this planet, a few days or a few months or a few years, I want more of my life to be usable for God in more different ways. And this theme of um, the, uh, the refiner is something that is very significant on the Messiah, and, and uh, although maybe it's only on a few occasions directly mentioned, we can see the process of change in people actually being demonstrated numerous occasions in this prophecy. In this one, of course, um, he talks about the fact that the society of Jerusalem was scum. I mean, you know, how, what, a, what, a, what a come down from what Jerusalem should have been. The faithful city has become a whore, whoring after foreign islands. And remember, Isaiah lived through the terrible time of Ahaz, the king, who made compromises with foreign gods and foreign deities and actually um, started to worship uh, pagan gods within the temple precincts and, and encouraged all kinds of idolatry. That, that's the meaning of Jerusalem has become a whore. Uh, she was full of justice, but now, because of course, uh, the ancient pagan religions didn't believe in justice, it had now become full of injustice, murder, bribery, princes are rebels and companions and thieves, and everyone loves a crime. But when God comes back to his people, turns his hand against his people now, uh, the, the Lord tells us that it does result in the death of the uh, punishment of many people living in Israel. But it did mean that there was a remnant that turn back to him. And uh, in those times, judges, righteous judges are restored, and it will be called the city of righteousness, the faithful city. Now, here we have, the, this, therefore, this great, um, this great promise of change in people's lives. But let, let's point out, the first, the first change that happens in any of these lives, to bring heavenly metals purified in their souls, is self someone coming to salvation. Um, Zechariah, in Zechariah 13, uh, verse uh, uh, 7, talks about punishment coming upon the people and prefigures the actual, the actual um, 
saw that came against uh, the shepherd of God, Jesus himself. Um, but punishment comes upon the whole people in Zechariah 38, and the whole land declares the Lord, two-thirds shall be cut off and birth, and one-third shall be left alive. And I will put this third into the fire and refine them, as one refines silver, and test them as gold is tested. Then they will call upon my name, and I will answer them. And I will say, they are my people, and they will say, the Lord is my God, when God refines them. Now, if we think about New Testament conversions, Peter uh, had, had, had some experience of Jesus in his gospel. We, we know that he had, was a, knew of the teaching of John the Baptist, knew something of Jesus. Um, but uh, his first real call was when um, Jesus said, um, take out your boat. And <coughs> and led him to this marvellous, wondrous catch of fish. Now, Peter's response to his awareness of the presence of God in that miracle, I'm not saying he knew at that point that Jesus was God-made man, but he was aware that, that Jesus was the dispenser of divine power who led him to this miraculous catch of fish. He said, go away from me, for I am a sinful man. Now, that is the response of an that's the response for an unbeliever. Fear. But Zechariah had been, um, had been predicting that once people were refined, and once they were tested, they will call upon my name and I will answer them. And I will say, they are my people. And they will say, the Lord is my God. Not go away from me, Lord, but the Lord is my God. And uh, of course, what did Jesus say to Peter that probably was the thing that resulted in his conversion? He said, fear not, fear not, Peter. From now on, you'll be fishing for men. And the thing is that um, if there's anybody listening online that, that isn't yet a Christian, and, and in fact, even as we're talking through these Old Testament passages, you may find them frightening, talking about the, the incandescent burning of, of God's anger against sinners, but also his refining, the refining process for Christians. Just remember this that Jesus Christ promises to all who call upon him forgiveness and eternal life. So call upon him. Call out to him. Say you're a sinful person, but also say, Lord Jesus, please be my saviour. Now, the thing is, you might say, but how can anyone, how can anyone really survive this refining process we're talking about? Talking about the fact that, uh, you know, the material change in uh, that causes Iron to, to uh, sorry, iron to be, uh, to, to be brought out of iron ore is a is sixteen hundred degrees or fifteen hundred thirty eight degrees centigrade. What what you know? How can anybody survive the presence of the living God? He's perfect and holy. Uh, the men in the Old Testament were scared stiff, even if they should set their eyes upon the Lord, that they would just be struck down dead. Let them be in the presence of God for any. Any time at all. But of course, we're told in Malachi, in that same passage that I read earlier, that talked about um, that talks about um, the, the the day of his coming. Who can stand when he appears? For he's like a refiner's fire. When God appears, he will be like not only sixteen hundred degrees centigrade, but like the sun itself, millions of degrees centigrade. Who can stand before such a fire? Spiritually, he will be like a terrible fire. 
He will sit as a refiner and purifier of, of silver. Who can endure it? Well, that same passage answers it. Malachi 3 verse 6. I, the Lord, for I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. Now, God has not changed in his faithfulness to any sinner. However bad, however broken, however useless they feel, you may turn to him and you may know he hasn't changed in his faithfulness to his promises. He has not changed in the fact that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And to call upon him with all your mind, you don't have to shout it out the window, but shout out in your mind, Lord, please save me. Thank you that Jesus died for me. Please save me. Now, once though you become a, a believer, we, we carry on being tested and tried and refined by God himself. It's really interesting when you look at uh, the story of Joseph in, in the Old Testament. Now, Joseph, uh, you remember, was uh, one of the sons of Jacob, who was the youngest, uh, at the time, for a time, he was the youngest son. Um, and he was spoiled as the youngest son. Another son came along later, but uh, was younger than him. But Joseph was spoiled by his father, was given a great uh, coat of many colours, and uh, generally was, was, uh, there was favouritism going on. And his brothers resented it bitterly, and finally had him, had him uh, um, trapped in a pit. And then uh, the idea was that uh, he would either disappear through death, but in fact he was eventually sold into slavery by one of the other brothers, and or at least taken into slavery through the other, the other brothers' um, um, planning. And he ended up in Egypt, in a prison, for uh, eventually, because having become a slave, he then got imprisoned falsely, accused of a crime he didn't commit, ends up in jail. Year after year, he's in jail. And in jail, he has... God speaks to him through his, his, um, uh, through his um, consciousness of the ability to interpret dreams. And God speaks through Jesus, uh, Joseph's interpretation of dreams. And um, you may remember on one occasion that a man, uh, a man um, had a dream that he was going to be, uh, very things were going to happen. And, and Jacob, Joseph was able to show one man that he was going to be released and another man that he would uh, eventually be executed. Now, it tells us um, in Psalm 105 verse 19 about Joseph, what he said came to pass. The word of the Lord tested him, that is Joseph. What Joseph said came to pass, but the word of the Lord tested him. What does that mean? Well, the answer is, of course, that in the, the waiting time, he had to wait until these truths came about, was a time in which his own faith was tested. He was tested whether he truly, you know, truly believed in the Lord, whether he believed God's promises and God's promises to him, because uh, he also was looking for, for release from prison himself. And on the basis of um, his interpretation of this, uh, this, man's, uh, this man's dream, um, uh, and, and the correct interpretation of this dream, he, he asked the man to, to remember him. Eventually the man did remember him, and he was released from prison. But there was a fire of testing he went through within himself. Was he going to believe in the promise of God? Was he going to believe in the, in the 
word of God that had come to him through the interpretation of these dreams. There was a fire of testing on. You might say there was a friction between the promises and the present reality of humiliation and suffering he was in. And that's true actually for us as Christians. We have these promises of blessing, but we don't necessarily see all the blessing that uh, we would like to see. Some of us are suffering. Some of us have difficulties. Some of us have a hit right between the eyes by life's, uh, life's tragedies. Um, and there's, there's, we're being tried by those experiences. You know, when, when things that we really wish hadn't happened do happen. And we really want certain things to happen, but they haven't happened yet. And we're praying about them. And we see, you know, we, 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 we believe that God really would like these things to happen, but they haven't happened. Well, that is one of the ways in which God is testing and trying us. And, I mean, this is very applicable to a small church like ourselves. The prayer meeting is, indeed, a furnace, if you like, that's going on in which we are being tested by our willingness to carry on attending prayer meetings and to carry on praying and praying and praying until the Lord indeed answers our, our requests, our, our prayers. We need to see that everything that's involved in church life is indeed part of this great furnace of God to create the, 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 the heavenly metals in our soul. Um, we need to, to see that um, the Lord comes and says, all things are possible for one who believes. And therefore, we should be applying that promise to our church for conversions, for spiritual crises that we get into where there may be relationship problems or difficulties, members of families or various other people. Anything is possible for him who believes. We need to, to, under, to understand that God wishes our lives as Christians to be you know, part of his uh, smelting factory. You see, we have an absolute certainty that eventually when we get through all of these different, different and difficult experiences, we are going to come to a place of abundance. Psalm 66 and verse 10. I'm, I will actually, um, let, me, let, let me read the uh, whole Psalm 66, but Psalm 66 verses 10 to 12, uh, which says, um, I'll read it from my notes, You, O God, have tested us. You have tried us as silver is tried. You brought us into the net. You laid a crushing burden on our backs. You let men ride over our heads. We went through fire and we went through water. Yet, you have brought us out into a place of abundance. And, you know, that is, that is the, the marvelous thing. For those who've embarked on the Christian life, maybe online and you've just started becoming a Christian. Well, I say to you, brother or sister, whoever you are, you're going to have a great time as a Christian, a great time of joy, and a great time of trouble. <laughs> to you know, anybody say, uh, you know, oh, since I, I became a Christian and everything's wonderful and it'll be like that forever. No. You will have ups and downs, you'll have deep valleys uh, of despair, maybe, uh, those sleepless nights that we talk, that we sang about, um, that um, Graham Kendrick referred to in his song. All kinds of things are happening, but these are God's provision for you to grow as a Christian. And you will come out of it into a place of abundance. 
the one of the great metals of heaven, if you like, or the metals for the Christian is, is faith. And these experiences that we have both test our faith, faith and increase our faith. Now there was a, a cliche in the old westerns. There's gold in them thy hills, you know, just look at these dusty hills that look just like the rubbish. Oh, there's gold out here, come on. And then there was a you know, gold rush going out to try and find the gold. Now, the truth of the matter is that when we look at the young Christian like me, like you, we can say, there's gold in them our songs. <laughs> Even though often we are worldly, fleshly, cold, really useless believers. But there's gold in your soul, and it can get bigger. <laughs> look at, uh, look at the, the case of, of Peter. Um, there was gold in that poor soul. I mean, just thinking of one that I, I refer to it so often in the sermon, but again, it's such a I mean, it's such a devastating thought, isn't it? Here's a man that was a, a friend of Jesus Christ that, that, kept, that reached that point of such, um, such, such uh, importance and prominence. Uh, in, in Mark 10, uh, we were you know, thinking about this morning about uh, Peter saying, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And, and, and Jesus saying, to him, flesh and blood has revealed this to you. This is a divine revelation to the Father in heaven that has produced this in you. And Peter was seeing such a keen Christian and he seemed so keen to defend Jesus. I'll go to that prison and I will die for you, Peter said. And a few hours later, what a pathetic sight of this man denying Jesus because of a young girl and a crowd of nobodies who were no threat really to him at all, but he was absolutely in a total mess. But there was gold in his soul. Why? Because Jesus said to him, before it happened, he said, you are going to deny me three times before, before the morning starts again. You're going to deny me. But I have prayed for you that your faith will not fail. And, and this is, the, this is the, the, you know, incredibly important metal from heaven that God has put into Peter's soul. That he had this faith that was manifested, as we heard this morning, when he confessed his faith in Jesus. But it was actually, it wasn't destroyed by his sin and failures because it wasn't his faith. It was a faith that had already been created in him by the living God. And uh, of course, Peter takes up this, this I, I, think, I think he takes up this point, when in uh, 1 Peter, and this time I will ask you to turn to it because it does contain uh, the verse, uh, of course, references to smelting uh, the word of God. It says in 1 Peter chapter 1, Verse 5, it says this, Who by God's power, sorry, this is on page 1203, 1203 in the Church Bibles. 1 Peter, chapter 1, and verse 5, Who by God's power being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Guarded through faith. In this you rejoice, Though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, and that word for tested here is one used for this whole process of, of smelting and, and, and bringing out uh, the silver or the gold from the, from, the, from the rubbish. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, 
may be found to result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Paul is, Paul, Peter is saying here that that's the really precious thing that they have within them, this wonderful faith that they have in Jesus Christ, that will be revealed one day, clearly, to the praise, glory, and honor, not of you or me, but to the praise, honor, and glory of God. Now, so let's look at ourselves and just ask us, you know, to finish these last few minutes, how does this apply to us today? Well, firstly, um, let's think of the scum that's still implanted in our own souls that hasn't yet, yet been burned away by the Holy Spirit of God and by the Word of God, um, by God Himself laying His, laying His spiritual hand upon us to change us. Uh, now, I've already mentioned Galatians 5, uh, but I'm going to actually, I'm actually going to point out again from Galatians 5 that uh, we have these, uh, these wonderful heavenly qualities, uh, but we also have these miserable scummy qualities that, um, that, are, in, uh, that are in the human heart. Uh, Galatians 5, verse 16, I, uh, that's on page 1157. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will, not, uh, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. I was talking to a, a friend this morning, and saying that everyone, you become a Christian, you don't get away from the, the old person there is, you still have the old man, the old woman within you, the old crocodile waiting to get out and biting someone, sitting within, within each of us, the dark side. But if you are led by the Spirit, verse, uh, verse 18, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality of all sorts, impurity of all sorts, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, various kinds of hatred, bitterness against people, resentment, strife, wanting always to have a fight. Simon says, I am peace, but therefore war. And sometimes there are, you know, we do have aggressive qualities within us. Jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, that's usually based on pride. How many of us have got pride within us? Dissensions, when we cause troubles and and fights and, and uh, problems within the church. Divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. So we have a whole load of other scummy things, so the list if we wanted to. I warn you as I warn you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Now, let us ourselves understand that the Lord has given us our lives in which day by day He wishes to use our daily Bible studies, our praise and prayer, our interaction with other Christians, our prayer times, attendance at church meetings, our attendance at the main church meetings, and small church meetings. After all, um, one thing that's clear, you only get really dicky Two factors. One is that you have a lot of fuel together that's burning, and secondly, you need a lot of a, a lot of a big, a big burst of air to get it really hot. And of course, we need our other Christians to be having fellowship with them. 
regularly. And then needing a whole load of the Holy Spirit, making sure that we are filled with the love of God. And we grow in the love of God. And we praise the Lord uh, together more and more. And uh, we, need to, we need to see that it's God's mighty work to actually get rid of the slag. Um, you know, I'm 72 and I'm persistent scum. <laughs> uh, scum and attitudes and various things of my life that God still is working on. And I trust and I pray that He will work on uh, in, a, in a much greater way uh, in my life, that I may have more of the heavenly metals. Um, now, of course, supposing though, those with real faith were to die for them. And actually, they've had a pretty scummy week or month or year or even five years. Most of the time they've been cold and drifting and not really serving the Lord and having lots of the sins of the flesh in their life. Are they lost? Well, if they haven't got faith, real faith, they're definitely lost. And one sign that they may not have real faith is if they do give themselves over to the, the sins of the flesh in the way that Paul has said. That's why Paul says, I warn you, um, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And I think he's talking now about someone like in one John who practices those things. It's part of their life. And the man agrees to it. But of course, many of us um, simply are living consistent lives, cold lives, and poor lives. Are we going to be lost? Well, we're told. No. Uh, Paul says, if, if a man should build upon the, the precious foundation the foundation is in Jesus Christ. The foundation is gold, silver, and precious stones. That is, uh, you know, that builds upon it with um, gold, heavenly metals. That's great. But suppose he builds upon it with straw. Each one, each person's work will be will become apparent on that day. But the man who's built, you know, his life and, uh, and is still scum in it, well, he will be saved. But as to the fire. Now, uh, I have mentioned to one or two of you what it was like for my sister when the, um, the uh, flash fires, um, the uh, fires surrounded her house um, uh, six weeks ago in Sicily. Um, basically, there were fires coming in the mountains from, uh, in three different directions for the compass, three different points of the compass. Fires were coming towards the road in which she lived out in the countryside. And, uh, there was such panic in the road, there were, there, there were seven or eight houses in the road, and everybody gathered in the road at three in the morning, and some of the people were screaming, they were, you know, trying to get their cars ready, and so on and so forth. And Helen phoned me up to say what's happening. She was reasonably, reasonably calm. Um, but she said, look, I've got my car, you know, back, but I'm, I'm going. And she basically said, she, had, you know, she didn't bring anything in it apart from her pets, you know, <laughs> pets were in the car. But apart from that, she's ready to go. She's leaving it behind, because that's all, you know, You've escaped with your life, but everything else is burned down. That's what basically Paul is saying about a person who has wasted their life, have not really built their Christian life on uh, with precious stones and precious things, sacrificed the Lord, loved the Lord, holiness and service. Instead, we've dawdled out our lives, not really doing anything for them, and just have a you know just. Got a lot of scums to their life. Well, we will be saved, but only as a man who escapes from a fire.
just with what is, what is going on. Now that's not what we want, surely. Surely we want to come before the living God and our Lord Jesus Christ and say, Lord, we, do, we did love you. We did do these things for you. We want to serve you. We want to serve you. And we did serve you. That's our motivation. Living in the presence of God. Living in the presence of God, but not separated from Christian friends, but living with our Christian friends in regular fellowship. In which we, we find different aspects of our life being touched by God through our Bible reading and meditation and prayer, listening to sermons, through the encouragement of others. But ultimately, it's by the Word of God burning in our hearts. Does not my, is not my word like a fire, declares the Lord, like a hammer that shatters rock. And if, if you feel there's some things in your life that are as hard as rock, well, the Word of God is a promise that can shatter it and burn it, burn it up. Burn out all other loves, love of the world. And for the coldness, give us the fire of the Spirit. Our minds, where our minds are transformed into thinking the way God thinks. Our souls, instead of being lifted up to idols of money or reputation or whatever, our souls are lifted up to God and Him alone, in which our strength, we, we, we burn out the spiritual idleness, where we just drift through our lives, in which we waste so much time on TV, the internet, social media, on which we're not really having fellowship with the Lord. In, which we, in other words, our heart, mind, soul and strength is flowing with love for God. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and all your strength. Now, um, there, I mean, there is simply this messianic promise in Scripture. That's what, how God works in you. I don't think I'm producing any new doctrine, or I'm not saying anything original, it's just there. And it's repeated time after time. It is a practical proposition for me as a Christian to get transformed from one degree of glory to another in God's smelting factory. In this world in which we live, He can change us. Even when you get to 70, He can change us. And uh, even if you are 30, but have been absolutely wandering away from God for years, and uh, um, you are you are actually saved, and you know it from when you were young, that you've wandered away, and got into terrible habits, God can change you. Um, what we have to do is come to Him in faith. And we need to uh, come on our knees and cry out to Him and be changed. Let's now pray. <clears> the <throat> Father in heaven, indeed we come before you wanting that our lives will not merely be a repetition of what has gone before. In some cases, some of us, Lord, have just drifted, been content with mild change in our life, but not transformation. We've been content with fellowship with you on Sundays and other meetings, but uh, Lord, during the week, our minds are on earthly things for so much of the time. Uh, Lord, we pray, please change us. Lord, you have the refiner's fire. Lord, please change us and cause us, Lord, uh, to be more changed into the image of Jesus Christ within our hearts. And we ask you, for, Lord, in this, in this coming week, Lord, that you will bless uh, members of our church, 
uh, in their Christian lives too, and indeed will be working and uh, causing your great spiritual fire to be uh, working in their hearts as well, uh, causing uh, the great fruits of the Spirit to be shown in their lives. Lord, we are weak, but you are strong. Please help us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.